Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning again, everybody. I don't know if that's for me or for the video, so I'll take, I'll take half of it, okay? Um, today we're going to continue our series on uh, the light of the world. It's a Christmas series. And uh, I, I want to share, we're going to talk about the sign, the sign given to the shepherds the night that Jesus was born. Now, but first I want to tell you, I've had quite a busy weekend. And let me tell you why. Because on Friday, uh, my son Dylan, who leads Ab Church, um, he got married on Friday, so, yeah, so. Now, we performed, I, I performed a small, it was a small little 20-person gathering at my house Friday, and um, the ceremony lasted about two minutes because it was a year and a half late, because like some of you experienced probably with family members or yourself, that he was supposed to be married a year and a half ago, but with the pandemic, they shut down venues, lost we lost our money all those things you know know, some of you know what that feels like right and so it was put off and so we finally did it friday then on saturday morning yesterday i became a grandfather for the fourth time so uh you know so the boy came and i text him again right before service what's the name and he didn't give me a name he goes we'll tell you when you see him in person you know why because I doubt he's watching because they're probably exhausted, but he doesn't want me to announce a name in front of everybody. He wants to hold that over me, okay? Can you imagine holding that against the granddad? How many grandfathers are angry right now in this room? But um, so, yeah, so that's the first boy. And let me tell you, we took care of his, their daughter, and um, she's a year and three months. That's Lincoln, one of my three granddaughters. And, you know, it reminds you why um, you don't have children in your own a- old age. <laughs> right, Deanna? It's like they wear you out. It's like they come over, and it's like your house is a war zone. It's the, they throw everything everywhere. How many still have, even though you may not use them, DVDs? Anybody have DVD movies? We do too. We have, there's two lines like this. And, and all my granddaughters, and yesterday too, Lincoln, she came over, they pull them all out and throw them all over the floor. How many know it is very unwise to put them back right away? Because you know if you do, what's going to happen? They're going to take them out again and throw them all over the place. So it, it, it was like, it was exhausting. I finally turned to Olivia. I go, what time does she go to bed at night? Because she's not her and my, one of my other granddaughters, Willa, Lincoln and Willa, they're like nonstop. I don't remember any of my three kids being like that when they were little kids. Does anybody remember this kind of stuff? I, I don't at all. And then, you know, and then they put the food all over themselves, right? It's incredible how many things they can get. They can dirty everything in 10 minutes. It's just, it's crazy. So that's what happened for us this weekend. Oh, and one more thing. Um, Lindsay, who gave birth yesterday to the boy, they got to the hospital, and she broke Olivia's record, my wife's record. The ba- Once they got in the hospital, the baby was born 49 minutes later. I mean, that's quick, huh? Well... And because it breaks the record that Olivia, when she gave birth to Dylan, uh, Dylan, we got to the hospital, and an hour and 18 minutes later, Dylan was born. 
So because she was, this one was born so quick, I always tell them, I say, well, it's because he's got the DNA of his grandfather, Del Campo, very quick, moves quick, gets things done. Amen, granddads, and stuff like that? So that's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it, by the way. So uh, I can't wait to see him later today for the first time in person. I'm going to talk about the sign that the, that the angel gave to the shepherds. And let me begin with a story. Uh, I've shared it before years ago, but I'll share it again in case you don't remember it. Hopefully you don't. But signs are pointers. Uh, they point you in certain directions to get you to destinations. About seven years ago, I was in New York City. It was the second time I was there visiting, and um, I'm not a big city person by any means whatsoever. I like Chicago. It doesn't feel big to me. And I like Boston. It doesn't feel big to me. But New York just feels too big. And uh, so I've already visited all the sites, and Olivia and I, were fine. If we never go back, we're fine. If some of you love it. You keep going back. Hey, God bless you. You go back for me, okay? But I've, I've had enough. Um, so we're walking on Canal Street, in, um, and we go into a McDonald's, because if you're in New York, you've got to go to McDonald's, right? No, I'm just joking. And so we go in there, and we're eating at McDonald's, and I have to use the restroom. And in McDonald's, I go up. It's kind of like you walk up a step, and you go into this restroom. And I walk in there, and uh, as soon as I walk in, I look around, and I go, well, this is weird. They have no urinals on the wall. I go, why is that? And I thought, well, maybe New York is different. Maybe they're just different than California. I mean, maybe they like to sit down. I don't know. And so, uh, so I thought, I'll wait outside one of the stalls, and, and don't get ahead of me, some of you. And so I'm waiting at the stall, and the, the door opens of one of them, and it's a woman. And instantly in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I went in the wrong restroom. And then my mind shifted quickly to, oh gosh, headlines, local California pastor, weird guy found loitering in New York bathroom, women's bathroom at McDonald's. I had to get out of there. I told the lady, I go, I'm in the wrong restroom, aren't I? She goes, yup. So I walk out of the restroom, and my wife and the couple, couple couples we're there with, I walk out, and they're like, no lie, they're like this. When I walk out, they're like this. <laughs> and then they just start laughing. And, you know, we've been laughing ever since. But here's my, here's my beef, okay? Why didn't my wife, who's a woman, or any of the other women there, why didn't they come in there and save me, okay? <laughs> they, they have access, right? They can go in. They didn't save me at all. They just left me hanging there. You know, they could have carried me off to jail that night, and that would have been that. Now, so I make mistakes, okay? My problem was I didn't look at the signs. I didn't bother. I just barged right in, and so I ended up in the wrong place. Well, signs are important. You probably use signs to get certain places. The angel that night, the night Christ is born, he's going to give the shepherds a sign. It's a directive sign. Now, we're going to talk about that this morning. What I'm going to do specifically is, and turn to Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story, I'm going to read 11 verses, and I'm going to do commentary somewhat on those. And then I'm going to give you three points in this whole context here. And then I'm going to try to tie third point all the way around to everything else in the message. Does that sound like a plan? Okay, you're going to stay awake on this one, Yeah. I know it's coming up in Christmas, but you know, I know you're busy. But here we go. In, in Luke chapter 2, in verse 1, here it comes. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. I just want to wave to everybody at home right now. 
Um, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. It's the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Okay, what's going on here is this. Every 14 years, the Roman Empire would take a census. They would do it for two reasons, military reasons and for taxation purposes. They want to know how many people there are so they can get more taxes. Now, that still happens today, does it not? So, this is why they're doing that. But what fascinates me is this. The question, does God, can God, does God ever use a non-follower of Christ or God? Does he ever use empires that don't follow God? Does he ever use them to move as chess pieces to fulfill his purposes? And the answer is, the answer is yes. Because in this story, you find Caesar Augustus calling for the census. So the, the pieces are moving now. And this is the Roman Empire. They are not followers of Yahweh God whatsoever. But the pieces are moving now, and God is using those pieces, these people, to get Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem from Galilee, which is about an 80-mile trek. So he's getting there. So I would say this to you as a follower of Christ. If you ever wonder, you ever look around and it feels like shaky, or like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, or my life is this, and you feel like God's not in control... You're lying to yourself. God is always in control. Amen? God holds all things together. Amen? Your God has got all the power. In fact, Pontius Pilate one day said to Jesus, while Jesus is there beaten, bruised, and he says, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you? I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, You would have no authority over me unless it was given you from above. What did Jesus just tell Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, under the Roman Empire? He says, you think you have authority? You think you're in control? No, you're not in control. I'm in control. Can you imagine Pilate hearing those words? But those are good words to listen to because we know that no matter what's going on, our God is in control. Amen? Verse 4. And it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth. Galilee's in the north, Israel, um, in the vicinity of the Sea of Galilee, is the city of Nazareth to Judea. Now he's going down to Judea, which is in the south, where, where Jerusalem is. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means Beth, house, chem, bread, house of bread. And Jesus would be the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because he was of the house and family of David. Now Joseph has to go down to Bethlehem taking his wife Mary, who's about to pop with child. He's going down there because his ancestors come from Bethlehem because he's from the line of David. David is from Bethlehem from a thousand years ago and they, they, his descendants settled in Nazareth. We talked about that two weeks ago. So, <clears throat> so now Joseph is traveling. Now I got, here's something I had to think about. I want you to think about this. You put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You know, eight, nine months earlier, eight months earlier, the angel in a dream comes to you and tells you, you're to take Mary as your wife. The child and her, she didn't cheat on you, Joe. It's been conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he knows this. This is going to be the Christ child, Joe. He knows this. And now when the census is happening, 
He's got to travel to, to Bethlehem. Now, he's a good Jewish man, I'm sure. He's got to know that the prophecy in Micah chapter 5 says that the Messiah will be born in Ephratha or Bethlehem. Ephratha is the ancient name of Bethlehem. He knows this. Can you imagine what is going through Joseph's mind as he's looking at all this? He knows this is a divine child. He knows that the prophecy says born in Bethlehem. He knows that he's got to go there because of the census by Caesar Augustus. Can you imagine what he's thinking? How God is putting all the people. I'd be sitting there if I'm there and going, do, 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 do. It'd be like this is a twilight zone, right? It's like how he's putting all these things together. It's incredible. I have to think, that's got to blow your mind at times, how God's moving all the pieces. Have you ever, after the fact, looked back in your life because we understand in reverse and thought, I can see how God moved all the chess pieces in my life to see that happen? Anybody ever do that in your life? No, anybody? Raise your hand if you know. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me when that happens. Now, <clears throat> verse 5. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, when it says the inn, don't think of like they're looking for the local Sheraton in Bethlehem, okay? That's not what it means. It just means a guest room. And so the idea is that she's come to Bethlehem, but there's so many people there, and all the relatives' homes now are filled up with relatives, and there's no place for them to stay. It's maxed out. And so she's got to find a place to stay. And so they find, you know, it could either be like an, a, another adjacent room where they keep the animals, that could be that, or it could be a, a cave where they keep the animals, like a shepherd's cave. And if you go to Israel, you'll see the shepherd's caves out there in the Bethlehem area right there. And so they get there, and the angel says, you're going to find this child wrapped in cloths. Now, they would wrap them in cloths because that would make, it would, they would do this to the children because they keep their limbs strong and protected. This is what they did. But he says, you're going to find that child in a manger. Now, a manger, a nice way of saying, it's an animal trough, okay? It's a feeding trough for animals. You're going to find this child in that place right there. Now, <clears throat> verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord... The word glory simply means weight. It's like weight, like it's a heavy weight. It's all, it means it's all that God is. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, terribly frightened. I'd, I'd be too. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Like, what's your first name? Jesus' last name? Christ. No, it's not that. That just simply means anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. So, now we've come to this place. The announcement of the child will be born in this area. You're going to find him this way. This is the sign. And it's announced to shepherds. So here we go. We're going to give you three things a day. You know, it's in your discussion stuff and all that stuff in your, on your app and stuff. So here we go. Number one, three things. A sign is given, which you probably figured out by everything I've said so far. A sign is given, and in verse 12, it says this. 
Once again, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The word sign is an interesting word that Dr. Luke, who writes this gospel, uses. Because the word sign, by definition, let me read it to you, is that which, uh, that which a thing or person is distinguished from others. It transcends the common course of nature. In other words, it goes against the grain. It's not natural flow. There's going to be a sign that goes against the grain. It won't, it does like, that's not what you do. But doesn't Jesus do that in your life and my life? Have you never read in the Gospels where when Jesus wants to have Passover, he sends three of his, a uh, couple of his disciples over to, to, get, to secure the room, and he says, look for a guy carrying a pitcher of water. How many know that is strange, right? You know that? Because in that day, men did not carry pitchers of water out in public. It was the women who did that in that day, okay? So he tells them, look for this. So can you imagine the disciples going, a man's going to be carrying that? He goes, yeah, watch for that. And sure enough, there's a guy carrying a pitcher of water because Jesus knows all things, and Jesus probably already set up with this guy that we will need this room at a certain time. So they get the room. So you watch Jesus going against the flow of all things. So he, he, he seems to carry that out in, in, his, in his ministry. Now here's my deal. You're going to find this child. Strips of cloth wrapped around him, which is normal, but you're going to find him lying in a manger. That's an abnormal sign. You don't put brand newborn babies in feeding troughs. That's not a normal sign. That goes against the flow right there. But here's my big question. There's a lot of sheep in the Bethlehem area. There's a lot of shepherds out there. How would these guys know which feeding trough to look for? How, how would they know? I mean, it's night. We know that it's nighttime. How are they going to find this place? How are they going to find this Christ child? Let me give you some things that possibly give us the answer to that question. In Micah, Old Testament prophecy, 700 years before the moment, Micah 4.8, it mentions something. And this is right before talking about where the Messiah would be born. It mentions Migdal Eater, means Migdal Tower Eater Flock. Tower of the Flock. It's in the Bethlehem area. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 21, when Jacob's wife dies and he pitches his tent in that area between Bethlehem and Hebron, it is mentioned there, there's a tower of Eder, tower of the flock. There it is mentioned again. So you find Micah 4.8, Genesis 35.21. Now, like I said, this is in the Bethlehem, Hebron area. Now, what is this thing? What is this tower of the flock? Well, it was used. It was used as a tower to go up there and you'd watch over the whole area of flocks. That's what they use it for. But even more than that, here's what they use it for. When a, when a, when a sheep was going to give birth, they'd bring the sheep there. And it would give birth, they would take that little, little, little lamb there and they'd put strips of cloth around its limbs so it wouldn't throttle around and they'd lay it in that, in that area right in the feeding trough. Now, why would they do that? Here's where it gets really interesting. They would do that because these Bethlehem shepherds, guess what they're raising the sheep for? Specifically, they're raising the sheep to be taken and used for sacrifice at Passover time. We know that Jesus was going to be our sacrificial lamb. Amen? So that's what they do. But now, we know that they're taking these sheep and they're wrapping them up so they don't throttle around because if they're going to be using the sacrifices, 
They cannot have any blemishes. They cannot be scarred up. So they wrap them tight because if they don't, they can't be used in the sacrifices because these are the sheep. John the Baptist would one day say, looking at Jesus coming to be baptized, he would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So now we find out the very place where the sheep that are being born to be eventually sacrificed for sin once a year that the Lamb of God Jesus now when he's born he'll be wrapped like that and he'll be put in that spot so you put this all together and you realize when the angel tells the shepherds a certain place this app, they know exactly what he's talking about they know exactly where the spot is they know exactly where to go because this is what they did this is what they knew so it was a specific message to the shepherds now hold that thought of specific message because I'm going to bring that back at the end but let's get to point two and that's this grace and peace are part of the whole package deal now watch verse 14 would you read verse 14 all together with me here we go one two three glory in the highest and on peace among men with whom he is please now the angels announce peace how many want peace in your life how many really no you really want peace I, I, I want peace peace but I told you in point two grace and peace are part of the package where do I get that at I'll tell you who did the angel come to in this story who does he come to announce what kind of people are they? The shepherds. Are shepherds allowed to go to the temple? They're unclean. Because shepherds are on sheep and sheep do some droppings, right? And so you step on it and you're unclean. Do you remember when Jesus would go with people and the religious leaders would, would be so angry with Jesus because they say, he goes and he eats with sinners. Remember those statements? Now, think about who he's eating with. It would be like tax collectors. In that day, in Jesus' day, when they say sinners, they're not talking about just everybody. They're talking about people who are in the sinner trades. This is their occupation that makes them unclean. Of which shepherds, tax collectors, tanners working with dead animal skins, prostitutes, these are all the sinner trades, and you would be considered unclean. You could not come to the temple. You're unclean. You're like a temple outcast, in a sense. And so when the angels come and they uh, speak to the shepherds, what, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us grace. Grace is the unmerited, unearned favor of God that God comes to people who would not even be allowed in the temple. God comes to them. And so now you see grace in that respect, but then they announce peace. There's grace and there's peace. Do you follow me so far? No, say yes if you follow me. Okay, let me try to piece this together for you. So I try. I try every morning to remember to pray this. I try at night to remember to pray this with my wife. I say, God, give me opportunity to share you and give me boldness. To, to, when the door opens, give me the boldness to do it. Because that's exactly what they prayed in the book of Acts. The early church, the first followers of Christ, that's what they did all the time. And we need to do that. And so I try to remember all the time to pray that. Because guess what? If you ask God for opportunity to share Jesus Christ, guess what he's going to do? I guarantee he's going to give you opportunity. But you've got to have boldness. So I, I, um, 
I study at a coffee shop a couple times a week because I get a lot of work done there in the mornings. And they all know me there. All the regulars, they know me, Jim, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so, because I've been going there about seven years. And in that coffee shop, there is a certain chair that the owners and the workers and all the regulars know, it's my chair. Don't sit in my chair. But the non-regulars, they don't know that. And so they sit in my chair. And so this one day I go there, and one of the regulars is sitting in my chair. And he knows better. So I come in, and, and, and he goes, hey, Jim. I go, yeah, I won't say his name. He goes, uh, he goes, you can sit across from me. I'm thinking, no, that's not my chair. I'm like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, right? Well, some of you know that, huh? But um, he, I said, okay, I'll sit across from you. And so we're sitting there, and this guy's one of the ni- nice guys, very talkative, nice guy. He loves his family, loves it. He just talks. It's great. And so I always have my Bible open because I'm, I'm studying. And they all know this. They all know I'm a Christian. I don't know. They, I mean, I wear the bumper sticker, Christian, you know, the whole thing. And so he, he says that day, he says, that's a Bible you're reading, right? And I'm like, okay, God, here we go. These are the moments I was, okay, here we go. Here we go. He asked the question. I said, yeah. And, this, and then he, he just jumps in. He says, you know, and he's a good guy, great guy. He says, my wife and I, we believe in God. We used to go to church. Used to. And then he says, but we don't go because they always tell you that their, their way's the only way. I go, huh? Yeah, we just can't buy into that because what about all these other religions? Why, why is this way the only way? Why? And so we just can't, we, we, we stop going because they keep saying that. And I said, okay. I said, can, I, can you give me a chance to try to explain that? He goes, yeah. Here we go. I said, okay. All religions can't possibly be right. Something has to be right, something's got to be wrong. I said, here's why they're saying this. Because all religions, and you and I as a Christian, you know that we're not a religious person. We're in a relationship with God through Jesus, right? Okay, we got that. It's personal. I said all religions, what they teach you and what they say to get to heaven or paradise or whatever their concept of an afterlife is or eternity is, you've got to do good deeds. And you've got to do good deeds. And you've got to do good deeds. And so you've heard me say this many times. I'll say it again. I'll say it again in the future. I said, so I said, I always, and I said, I always ask them, well, how many good deeds is enough? 50, 100, 500? Where do I get to when I can finally say, I don't have to do any more good deeds. I'm already, I'm locked in. I got my ticket. And then he says, well, you got to keep doing them. I did, and I said, exactly. So it's unanswerable. There is no knowing moment where you have enough good deeds to know that you're going to heaven. I said, Christianity's different. Because Christianity, difference is that we cannot work our way to God. So God came down to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, and listen, I go, I'm under the command of Christ as they are. It, Jesus himself said, I said, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says it's exclusive. This is the only way. It's the only way. And in the New Testament, I said, a guy named Paul, he writes that we're saved by the grace of God through our faith, that not of ourselves, not a result of works, lest any man could boast about it. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what he did. And that's the fundamental difference. And that's why they're saying that to you. Because you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by who you believe in, Jesus Christ. And that's the difference between the two. And he goes, oh, and he really didn't want to talk about it after that, okay? But at least I got it in there, right? But, I, but what I've told him was, it's the favor of God. God comes down to us, and he favors us knuckleheads, and he loves us, right? You know, you know you're a knucklehead, right? Okay, you're only married to a knucklehead? Okay, I got you on that one. Now, let me, let, me, um, let, me, let me try to apply this into our lives. How does this work? Because some of us get stuck in our concepts of God and faith. And let me clear some air right now. If you read your New Testament, have you ever noticed that Paul, in most of his letters, not all, I don't think, but most, he begins by saying, opening line, grace to you and peace from God. Have you ever noticed that? Anyone ever notice that? Raise your hand if you notice that. Okay. This is a very common introduction for Paul. Now, I've always looked at that and thought, it's, it's not coincidence. He's doing this on purpose. Because he's starting with grace, and then because of grace, he moves, then we can have peace. Now, let me explain that. Let me show you how that applies. I'm talking to Christians right now. As a Christian, there are some of you at home listening, some of you, some here, sometimes you wonder, am I really saved? Boy, I, I sinned a week ago Thursday. I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. I, I, I don't know if I'll go to heaven if I die right now. Anyone ever had that light flash through your head? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. You're in church. Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. I want to fix you right now, okay? Did you get that on tape? No, I'm just joking. Okay. Now, wait a minute here. You're wondering if you're saved because of something you did wrong, right? But wait a minute. Are you saved by what you do? No. Wait a minute. I'm saved by the grace of God, God's favor to me. I cannot earn it. He came down to earth for me and died on that cross and shed his blood. Therefore, when I put my faith in him, I believe in him. I'm washed clean by the blood, past, present, and future. Correct? So therefore, my standing before God is always perfect and right. I never come to church. I never walk into Sam's Club. I never go get gas somewhere and wonder, I wonder if I'm really saved today. I don't do that, and neither should you. Amen, everybody? You should never think like that. Because it's not based on what you do or what you just or what happened this past Tuesday. It's based on who you believe in. Amen? Now let me free you even further. How many of you, when you make when you try something and you fail, or as a Christian, you you make you you make a bad decision and you sin, you feel like it's over. Like you're just bad. Raise your hand, I want to know. Well, come on, Vince, be honest. Be clear. Praise God. Thank you for both hands back there. We got that on camera. But anyway. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is going to help you. See, failure, sin, is an event. It's not your identity. Follow me? We spent 10 weeks on cycle breaker, cycle maker. Remember the insecurity and the identity problem? Remember all that stuff? No. Once I come to Christ, my identity is set. I'm a child of God. 
and I'm washed in the blood and therefore my standing before God is always right and therefore there's always peace with God so when I mess up and make a mistake or I try something in church or whatever and it fails I don't sit there and say well I'm a failure I'm dumb I'm dumb uh, no it's just an event I'm still right I still have peace let me take it further can I take it one step further I never, ever, ever, well, I did the first 10 years probably. I was so messed up emotionally, relationally. But I don't wonder every day like, I wonder if Olivia loves me today. I wonder if she's going to leave me today. But we disagreed yesterday on whether we should get pizza or tacos. You know, I don't know. I wonder, you know. And don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about, some of you. You know exactly. If something happens and you're wondering, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't wonder that. I, I, because you know why? I have peace in my relationship because I know that I accept uh, Olivia accepts me flaws and all and I accept Olivia those little few flaws she has and all, okay? Oh, I heard you out there. That's right, okay. Do you follow me? So when I go home, I know she's going to have the tacos ready. I don't doubt it. I walk in, there's peace. I'm not worried about anything. I mean, and she, like I told you before, she won the lotto. Any amens, guys, right? <laughs> I don't worry about that. See, you should not, as Christians, you should never, ever, ever worry about your standing with God or your standing with each other. Am I right? It's grace and it's peace. I have peace because I am favored by Olivia and I'm favored by God. So I have peace in both respects and I can walk around secure. Well, isn't that a better way to live? That's a great way to live, man. Isn't it? Some of you aren't not. I couldn't get you to nod if I gave you 10 bucks right now, could I? Now, let's keep that in thought. Let's go to the last thought right now. And that is this. Let me try to tie it all together. All of it is for you. Say for you. Now let's read verse 12 again. Here we go, all together, one, two, three. This will be a sign. Say it, let's start again. For you, real loud. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. There'll be a sign for you, you shepherds. So there's going to be a personal sign from a personal God for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and me. Let me explain this. I, I've shared with you about um, how I became a Christian 42 years ago. I was 23. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't want Jesus. I didn't want to be around Christians, which means I was getting tired of being around my family because they're all becoming Christians. And I was like, yeah, all Christians. And Christians are going to ruin my life. They'll take away my fun. Do all of I'm 23. I'm single. I don't know. But I remember. I remember I was it was like August 1st, 2nd, 3rd. That's the best I can recollect. And I was sitting on my bed. And I, I was 23, like I said. I was single. I just bought a house. It was an escrow for the enormous amount of $52,500 in 1979. And I'm sitting on my bed. And I remember these thoughts flashed through my mind. I think I'm going crazy. And I know my friends are going crazy. And I was so bored with life, guys. I remember. I was, everything that I typically found joy in, it was losing its joy fast. 
And I didn't know that was bringing me somewhere. But I thought, I'm going crazy, and my friends are going crazy. You flash forward to August 12, 1979. About, I don't know, nine days later, whatever it was. And they tricked me into going to church. My family. My sister said, I'll give you a housewarming party if you go to church. And I thought, presents. Free presents. Okay, I'll go. So I go. We drive down to Melody Land Christian Center. Used to be across from Disneyland. I had, if not the worst, near the worst hangover I had ever had in my life that day. My head was splitting, splitting. And so I get there. And, you know, it was hard to focus because my head was hurting, but, you know, I said I'd come and I want presents and, you know. And David Wilkerson, if you've ever heard that name, he died about eight, nine years ago in a car accident. This guy was like John the Baptist on steroids. He's going to tell you all about yourself and your sin. He's not going to pull a punch. Man, he's going to set you straight. That's David Wilkerson. And he'd pray to God, give me one message a year, and he would take that message as he traveled around the United States, and he'd preach that one message. And he stood up there, and I'll never forget his opening line. Here was his opening line. And I'll try to do it in his voice. He said, the whole world's going crazy. And my mind flashed back. Because I thought, you're right. Because I think I'm going crazy. And I know my friends are. And when he said that, I, man, I paid attention. I, 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 I drilled down. I, I listened to everything he said. And he named off every sin, basically, I was in. And that night, I didn't plan it. I didn't come there thinking, I'm going to become a Christian tonight. I came there thinking, I'm going to get it out of the way, and I'm just going to get presents after this. I didn't want to be a Christian. I sure never thought I'd be a preacher. I said, I bowed down during the article on my knee, and I raised my hand, I said, and I gave my life to Christ. And mine was one of those conversions where, in a second, it's like you look at life so different. It's like the way I believed one way this way and one second later I believe this way. And if you know me very well, you know I'm kind of a John the Baptist type. I get worked up fast about immorality and things like that. But I gave my life to Christ. I didn't come there looking for him at all. You know what Isaiah said? Not in your notes, but I added this verse. Put it up there, please. Isaiah writes in the Old Testament, he says, I permitted myself this is God speaking through him. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I. To a nation, this is specifically to, to Israel, but we can apply it to our lives, to a nation which did not call on my name. I thought, that's me. I didn't seek God. But he permitted me to find him because he was looking for me. And that night on August 12, 1979, he gave a specific 
message. Unique. It was personal to me from a personal God. And it makes sense because he is a personal God, right? And that night, that angel appears to the shepherds and he gives them a personal message specific to them from a personal God. Is our God good or what? I would advise you to keep your eyes open in your life. Listen close, because God will give you personal messages that are unique to you because he's a personal God. And if you follow those messages, man, God might have some really cool stuff for you in your life because he's a personal God. And thank God, and thank God he is. I know I thank God he is. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we really, one of the things we need to do is always be very sensitive to what you're speaking to us, what's happening. Because uh, you could be telling us things. There could be personal messages for us from you because you're a personal God. I pray for you today. I, I would ask if you are here in person or watching online, if something is striking you, and you're, you're not a Christian, and you know it. I mean, I remember when I wasn't. I had to admit I wasn't. But you're thinking, maybe this Christianity, maybe it's time for me to follow Christ. People are telling me about this. Family sharing with me about it. The co-workers tell me about it. This is God having a personal message from a personal God for me. It's time to come to him. Or maybe you backslid, and man, God is personalizing it for you today. It's time to come back to him. So if you would like to place your faith in Jesus, or rededicate your life here, or we, you know, I'm going to say this prayer. I want you to repeat it out loud after me. Everybody here say it out loud with me, so whoever says it for the first time in rededication, they're not alone. But you just need to believe. You need to put your faith in the only true God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one way. There's only one way, and it's His way. It's a person. It's a person. It's a person, Jesus. So repeat this prayer after me. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much. You would come for me. You would die on a cross for me. Shed your blood for me to forgive my sins. Forgive me of my sins and I know they're all forgiven. I invite you to take over my life. I surrender. Save me. And thank you for saving me. Spirit of God, come dwell in me and be my God. Now let me pray for you. I pray and I hope that now you follow up on these things because the Spirit of God, by faith, through the grace of God, now lives in you. That's the new DNA in you that changes the way you view everything because you're going to start to now follow God. You need to start reading your Bible. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years. Read about the one who loves you. Read about Jesus. Begin to grow. Get around Christians. 
You need a Bible? Go to the Welcome Center in the lobby. They'll give you a Bible. You need to talk to somebody about this? People afterwards on my left or right, they're here to pray for you. They'll talk to you about it. They'll guide you. You have family members that are Christians? They'll guide you. Because now you've got to take steps to continue this growth and this walk with Jesus Christ, your God. I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful that you've come to Christ. Because I know what Jesus has done for my life and how he's made it better. I'm just thankful. Because I know what my life would have been like had I never put my faith in him. I'm just thankful. He straightened it out. He straightened it out. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you for loving me and everyone here so much. Thank you for loving everyone online. Thank you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.